Hello, everyone. We are going to jump right into this one. Um, I always planned to use this podcast to help us understand basic life skills and knowledge of all levels of complexity to make us better adults. Since I am still finding my voice with this new platform, I wasn't sure if I was ready to use it this soon to discuss the basics of a topic as serious as the racial injustice igniting these protests demanding change. But the more I thought about it, the more disappointed I would be with myself if I didn't speak up and show support towards the Black Lives Matter movement. I have been learning that as a white ally, I must do my part to elevate the voices of those who need to be heard. To help us better understand the perspective on growing up black, the ways to embrace each other's differences, and the resources we can use to fight for equality is my dear friend, Carol Roberts Solomon. She is a generous, loving African-American mom of two amazing sons who I was lucky enough to grow up with. She has been a positive influence on my childhood, and I'm thrilled to have her be a positive impact in this episode. Hi, Carol. Thanks for making time today. Hey, Amanda. Thank you for inviting me. I, I am so pleased and blessed to be with you today. I know that this is going to be an honest, hard, open conversation, and I'm accepting that I will not get everything right um, and that I'm here to grow and learn. And I think that's all we can ask for, Amanda, is for people to be willing to listen, to be will willing to correct things that they may have been doing differently in the past and to be willing to, um, you know, just just make a different future for, for the kids that are coming up. Yes. Um, you know, I grew up in the same town that you raised your sons in, and I never asked them um, how the color of their skin might have impacted their lives. Um, and I think it's because I didn't know if I should, if I could. And now, you know, everyone's having this conversation. Do you think it's because of, of the environment we're in at this moment? Or is this a conversation that we should have always been having on more of a regular basis? We definitely always should have been having this conversation. I think it's an uncomfortable conversation. Mm -hmm. It's uncomfortable to talk to people about differences. But um, for some reason, the color of our skin has always been one of the biggest elephants in the room. It's um, my, like you said, you grew up with my boys. Um, I moved here. I was born in the Caribbean. I was born in Trinidad and Tobago. And uh, my parents brought me, to, brought me to the United States in 1969. And we, I grew up with my sister in Brooklyn. And in 93, um, my husband and I decided to move the boys to um, suburban New Jersey to get a better education where we didn't have to worry about paying for private school and, and all of that. So we moved them to the suburbs, to the same town where you and your family live. And I just, I didn't think about it. I didn't think a thing about it. I, I didn't really do a lot of research. I didn't really check to see what the impact of moving them from Brooklyn to New Jersey would be to suburban New Jersey. And um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot along the way. Um, I, I consider myself always a student of life. So as life may knock me down, I try to learn and to get back up. And moving them here was one of the things that I had to learn about. And even through their um, their teen years, their preteen years, I still asked myself, was it the right decision that I made to actually move them here? And that's a hard thing as a mother, as a black mother, to, you know, to to think about after you've already made that decision and made that commitment to wonder and to second guess yourself about if you did the right thing. Yeah, that's that's really hard. I mean, I know that your two sons are amazing people. I need to do my part to reach out to them. Um, today we'll talk about your experience. Before we dive into that, I want to make sure that I'm addressing this properly um, with the terminology of the Black community. People use the phrase Black people, Black male, Black female, um, but then there's also African-American, people of color. When are each of these terms appropriate? That is a, um, that's just the way that an individual prefers to be addressed. As you well know, um, we came from the, the, the word, the N-word. Um, we moved past that to being called Negroes. We moved past that to being called Blacks. We moved past that to being called African-Americans and now to people of color, which kind of also encompasses other um, races as well. Um, me personally, I just like the term Black. I, that's, just, that's just the term that mm -hmm. I prefer. Um, different people will prefer different things. Um, and I just prefer Black. Is that like an okay thing to ask? Like, how do you prefer 
I guess I don't even know when we mm-hmm. would need to say that. You, it, you don't necessarily need to bring right. it up, but if you are discussing race, then I think it's it, I think it's okay to ask how they prefer to be um, to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I wouldn't say you know you're going over to dinner at someone's house and you walk in and you say hi. How do you prefer to be addressed? <laughs> but but you know if you're having that honest discussion, you know ask them how they prefer to be addressed. If there's, if there's something that more importantly, is there something that they do not prefer? Mm, Okay. You know, cause some people may say, you know, I just absolutely don't want to be addressed as black. So, you know, interesting. it depends on the connotation that they, that they associate it with, I guess. Uh, Well then let's, let's talk a little bit about you specifically um, to talk about your life as a black woman. What have been some of the challenges whether it's from the systemic injustice or just everyday racial bias, what are some of the challenges that have affected you or people close to you? Um, it's funny because um, where I grew up, I, um, I actually lived in East New York in Brooklyn when I was younger. And um, that was a predominantly black and Hispanic area. Um, everyone pretty much looked like me, dressed like me, talked like me, walked like me. And you kind of get into... Um, just being like everyone else. Um, my parents then moved to the East Flatbush area, which at the time was predominant, predominantly um, a white area. And we moved there in the, in the 70s, in the late 70s. And I didn't really understand what bias was until um, two things happened, actually. One was um, I was out, one of my very best friends growing up was white. And um, we went to the movies with my boyfriend at the time and he's black and we were coming out of the movies and it was freezing. I mean, absolutely bone chilling. And so he stood in between the two of us. I mean, he knew us both well, of course, and he stood in between the two of us. And as we were walking to the bus stop and this is his teenagers, um, he put his arms around both of us to keep us warm. And the next thing we knew, um, this was in Canarsie, a crowd came from behind us, a crowd, crowd of white people screaming the n-word and saying go home and they started to chase us with bats and all we could do at that point was just to take off running in all different directions and it was the first time in my life that I ever really understood that you are definitely going to be treated differently due to the color of your skin Um, it's the hardest story to tell because it was the most personal to me myself Um, the other time that I know for myself that Um, I felt it really was when uh, we first moved into the home. We moved in there in 1977 and we had a huge picture frame window in the front of my house and my parents, we were all asleep. It was around Halloween time and all of a sudden we heard a big crash. We came running down the stairs and we couldn't see anything different. So we were getting ready to go back upstairs and then we noticed that the front uh, curtain was blowing in the wind but there's a picture frame window. There's actually no window to open in it. So we started to walk towards it. And then we heard a car screech off and we realized that someone had thrown a brick through our picture frame window also with the N word on it. And our neighbors um, a block away from us had had a cross burned on their uh, lawn, on their front lawn. And I understood that I was different, but those were the times that stood out in my mind as as growing up and being made to feel different. Um, I moved from Brooklyn, brought the boys here when they were two and six. And um, my mom was really concerned, I think because of the experiences that that we had. And I remember a very caring neighbor who's white came over the first day that we were outside, we were mowing the lawn and um, she came over and she had baked some sort of uh, bread or something for us. I happened to have been on the phone with my mom my husband was outside with me and he walked over to the neighbor and was talking to her and her daughter. And my mom said, oh, who's that? What's going on? So I told her and my mom literally freaked out. Don't eat that. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if someone doesn't like you being there, what they may do to you. And I literally stopped and I went, wait a minute. I, that had never come to my mind, but my mom was petrified. And she always worried when the boys were younger, always worried that they would be treated differently, that they would be um, ostracized, that they would be called horrible names by people around them. She worried every single day about those boys living in a community that's 
the majority of the community is white. And she was so concerned. I remember um, my older son, um, we were going to uh, Home Depot one day, my husband and I, and uh, he didn't want to come. And he was outside playing with his friend who's white. And um, we said, well, we got to go to Home Depot, so you got to come. And he said, well, can't I just stay here with my friend? And I said, well, you can ask your friend's mom if it's okay. And if that's okay, then we'll just run to Home Depot and come back. And being, you know, calm and relaxed, knowing that he was with a friend who the mom had, I, I assume, had said yes. I'm, I'm assuming that the child did ask his mom and that she said yes. We came back to find my son sitting on our front step and rocking back and forth. And I said, what's the matter? What are you doing here? Why are you rocking back and forth? And he said, because I have to go to the bathroom really bad. And I said, so you were at your friend's house. Why didn't you go to the bathroom? And he said, they said, I couldn't go to the bathroom over there. And I remembered crying, just crying, because although there was no way to prove what the reason was, what other reason could there be that he was not allowed to go to the bathroom over there? I mean, you hate to jump to conclusions, but why would he be okay to play, you know, but not be okay to come in their house and use the bathroom? And, you know, so he sat outside until we got back. And that's, you know, the things that you, you kind of think of. I mean, he had a girlfriend when he was in college whose parents absolutely told her that she was not allowed to date him because he was Black. And they literally told him, told her those words. And so now I find myself, even though they're both adults, I find myself saying to them, when they're dating someone, do their parents know that you're Black? That's the first question. I, I don't worry about what color their girlfriends are when they bring them home as long as they are loving people and caring people. But my first question to my children always has to be, do their, do the, does their family know? Are they accepting of the fact that you're Black? And so it's still going on. I'm so sorry. I mean, it's coming to light, which is great, but that mm -hmm. sucks. That We've still got a lot of work to do, even though it's coming to light now. But I think that platforms such as yours and an ongoing conversation, not just to have one conversation, but to have uh, many conversations, you know, with families and with groups and to see, you know, to have like a, an open, you know, a roundtable discussion with, with people of color to know that, you know, what's happening? Has there been any improvement? That's very important. Yeah. One of the things I'm learning that needs to change is how Black history is taught in schools. Mm -hmm. Um, and the things that are cut out mm -hmm. or explained differently. Mm -hmm. um, are there any aspects of Black history or Black culture that you specifically think need to change in schools? Well, um, my son's a teacher, um, so I'm not sure what mm -hmm. the exact Black history curriculum is. But mm -hmm. the fact that Black history is only taught one month of the year predominantly is a scary thought because Black people, people of color, um, you know, um, African-Americans, we're around every single day of the year, um, day in, day out, year in, year out. And I don't think that one month of the year is enough. And I'm not sure that even though we're teaching Black history, I'm not sure that we're teaching lessons about race in school because they are hard discussions to have. How do you teach your five-year-old, your six-year-old about race? How do you teach them, you know, the difference between different races and that we should be able to accept the differences, even though people have different skin colors, they have different shapes of their eyes and different shapes of their noses and their lips. And though they're different, we're all human beings and we all should be treated equally, that people should be, children should be able to ask questions and get answers and that people of color, Black people should have basic rights and wrongs and be treated equally. Uh, well, that actually brings me into another topic I wanted to discuss mm -hmm. was the idea of the phrase, I don't see color, I try to be colorblind. Um, like you acknowledge, we clearly look different. And it's weird that we still think that that's an okay phrase to use. Mm -hmm. We should be able to embrace and respect the fact that we are different colors mm -hmm. and different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. um, there, again, I've been doing some research this week. I have a couple quotes that I thought really helped me understand mm -hmm. this better. Mm -hmm. Um, so this one's from Barry and Barry. She's a black PMS and period health specialist. She defined cultural appreciation mm -hmm. as um, seeking to understand and learn about another culture in an effort to broaden their perspective and connect with others cross-culturally. Correct. Um, and then one other was from Danielle Koch, who is a black artist. She said that 
When you use the phrase, I don't see color, it means you're not going to take that extra effort to dismantle your prejudices and to see the complexities of racial issues. We should proactively acknowledge our differences and the hardships that Black people face because of those differences. Agreed completely. Even as an adult, I continue to teach my friends that are white that I don't appreciate the term. I know I know they have good feelings. The people that I know have good feelings behind it, but I've taught quite um, a few of my friends that the term not seeing color is not good enough. You wanna know that there are differences. You wanna appreciate people's differences. You wanna be able to, to be able to ask the question, to have the conversation, to be able to not see color is, is being blind to what's happening in the world right now. If you're saying you don't see color, then you don't see things that are happening to people like Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Trayvon Martin and just the people that whose names, and those are just, I mean, there are so many names. I've been doing research myself. I mean, you think that you'd know most of the names, but I've been doing research myself and there are so many names, unfortunately, Amanda, that yes, I know the names, but do you believe that I still had to look up the circumstances under which they were killed? Because there are so many flooding the news these days, you can't even keep straight what happened to person A as opposed to person B. And that is just wrong. If this is happening because of the color of someone's skin, then that means that the right discussions are not taking place. That means that we're not teaching from when they're young. We really... There's a poem that I love, and, and if you get a chance, if you could um, either you know give it to your, your listeners or, or post it on your social media, um, it's called Children Learn What They Live. It's by Dorothy Law, and it basically just teaches you that children mimic a lot. We know that as adults, we know that. We know that if we say a bad word, um, you know, in air quotes, and then you turn around and your kid was standing there, you literally are like, oh crap, they're gonna say that. Mm -hmm. So we have to teach children what they, how they need to live when they are little. We have to teach them that it's okay, and as a matter of fact, it's more than okay to love someone that's different from you. Just how it's okay to fall in love with someone that's in a wheelchair. It's okay to fall in love with someone that has red hair. It's okay to fall in love with someone whose skin is a different color than yours. And I still feel at this day and age, I mean, we're sitting here on, what is it, June 6, 2020, and I don't know that that's still okay. I don't know that how okay that is in some people's worlds. So I, I really do feel that, you know, cultural appreciation is very, very important. And yeah, I did the same thing. I wanted to make sure that everybody understood in as clear terms as possible what cultural appreciation really is. And I have almost word for word the same definition that you have, which is just seeking to be educated on the culture of another, to be able to broaden your knowledge and to connect with that culture. And I think that's very important. I agree. And I've been studying also on the term like microaggressions, mm -hmm. implicit racial bias, mm -hmm. the idea that there's these uh, subconscious ad attitudes, actions, stereotypes that we end up exuding and it impacts the person that we are essentially not respecting. We don't even realize that it. is correct. Being silent, being um, not standing, uh, not saying something against the wrongs that are going on is just as bad as saying them yourself or doing them yourself. And I posted something on my social media the other day, which, you know, paraphrased, says that I'm paying attention to your silence. Your silence is deafening. It literally is deafening. If I have friends that are not of color, if my white friends that are around me and I bring up something for discussion. I have a group that I go out with all the time from drama club, parents from drama club actually, that we still <laughs> go out with together and we'll have brunch, we'll have lunch, we'll do whatever we wanna do together. And um, there are two of us in that group that are people of color, that are black people, black women. And we've been bringing up the discussions there. And I have to tell you the first time that it was brought up, the silence was deafening. The silence was deafening. And I don't think it's because I mean, there's no way for me to know, but I don't think it was because they didn't want to support us. I think it was because they didn't know what the heck to say. Like, you yeah. don't know what to say, but you have to say something. 
you have to, you can't just be silent with what's going on because otherwise it just continues and it gets worse and worse. That that goes with the, the phrase that I think is starting to also become very common being um, quote unquote, not racist right. and being anti-racist. That is correct. Speaking up and doing your research and saying something when you see racial bias. Absolutely. And we have to, you know, you were asking about the, the differences um, that as Black people, you know, there's so many things that we do, Amanda, that you would not even imagine. I mean, the littlest things. Um, I even made just a little list because I didn't want to forget a couple mm -hmm. of the things. And I was talking to my husband about it. And it's like, you, as a Black person, you always feel that you have to be better than average. You can't get a C in that class because someone else that may be white that gets a C in that class is going to have a leg up on you. You can't love or marry any person that you want to because you have to be um, concerned about the people that are black saying that you're not black enough and the people that are white saying, well, why are you marrying a white person or vice versa? The black people saying the same thing. You, you have to be concerned about my sons are big athletic buffs. Um, they run outside all the time. I have to sit now and they have to worry about running. Is it safe to go running? What neighborhood can I run in? What, what attire can I wear when I run? Where do they go? Where can they go to? What neighborhoods? What areas? How do they speak? Are they speaking too white? Are they speaking too black? You know, who are they in the company of? What, are, what clothing are they wearing? What if they want to wear a hoodie on their head and walk outside? Is that not okay? You know, their hair, their, their professional environment. When they go into a job, you know, my, my older son, he works in a, a school district where I believe if I'm, you know, I could be um, incorrect, but I believe there are only two or three black teachers in his district. And it's a huge district. My other son had a meeting the other day and there weren't many black people represented in the meeting. And it's a large, you know, company. Um, professionalism, you know, you have to be extra professional when you go to work. When you drive a certain type of car, you drive down the street in a sports car with tinted windows or whatever, are you more likely to get pulled over? Maybe. We don't know that. You know, what neighborhood we choose to live in? Are people coming out of their doors and worrying about bumping into you in the street? Do you have to um, over be over-friendly in order for people to understand that you're not a threat to them? So there's so many things that we think of every day. And I... Man, I'm like at a loss for words because that's, <laughs> that's a lot to hear. Um, yeah, it is. It uh, is. And, and you're right. As a white person, I, I maybe knew about that, but didn't didn't have to worry about it, you know? And, um, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people are still struggling with accepting that they had this privilege and didn't do anything with it. Right. And there was um, a quote. Another quote I want to share um, from Jenea, mm -hmm. um, future con. She's an activist. She said, privilege isn't about what you go through. It's about what you haven't had to go through. And that right. the color of your skin has not had any impact on your struggles. And of course, everyone has their own struggles, but the mm -hmm. color of your skin did mm -hmm. not cause them and isn't making them worse. Mm -hmm. I do think that in, in some cases, um, the color of our skin is making things um, a lot worse. Um, again, we're in 2020 and you and I are having this discussion and asking the question, is it not, I don't want to say too late because it's never too late to start the discussion, but the question that you started with, which is, should this conversation have been happening years ago? And it, the answer to that question is absolutely yes. And would that have put us in a different place? There's no way to know, but I would hope and pray that it would have put us in a different place right now where we, you know, and I definitely think that there is white privilege, that there there is, that do my children have to do things differently than the children of white parents? Yeah, I think they do. I absolutely think they do. I think when they go to work, they have to work extra hard. I think when they, when they speak, when they act, when they do whatever, you know, both of my kids grew up in the acting uh, world and my older son posted something the other day, which I knew was an issue when they were growing up, but I had never seen him actually address it, which is even in the acting world, you can't go after just any role for a male because if it's been a role that has been just basically played by white males, 
you can't go out there and change the world most times. There are times when theaters will allow for that, where they will say, okay, you know what, let's do something right. different. Let's have the, the lead played by a black male instead of a white male. But that doesn't happen very often. And, and you were in the theater world too, so you know how that is. And that even lessens where they can go in that, you know, in that area of their lives. So no matter where we are, our um, success rate is just, you know, I mean, yes, we can be very successful, but the, the avenues that we can actually take to become successful are so limited sometimes in, in different fields. Yeah. There's privilege all over the place. And, you know, I guess, like you said, my son's learned how to deal with it. And we've always talked about race in, in my house, always talked about race, always talking about needing to um, keep your head held high. Don't worry about the color of your skin you will be treated differently in, in a lot of circumstances, but you know, you know what you've got, you know how good you are, go out there, get it done. You know, all of the supportive talks that we could have, but then in the same breath, every time they left the house, my heart would skip a beat until they got back home. I mean, they were adults, they were coming home from college and I was still making them knock on my bedroom door when they got home safely. I didn't care if they woke me up, but I needed to know that they were home safely so that I could breathe. Mm -hmm. One thing that I've seen portrayed in movies and TV shows is the conversations that parents have to have with their black children, like you're kind of touching on, um, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, what to do when you get pulled over by a cop um, and things like that. And mm -hmm. I think those are really I mean I can I can tell that that's truth um that those are real conversations are there any other discussions that black families have to have that maybe people um of white families don't even know about well I can only speak for in my family I definitely had the if you're pulled over by a cop uh, conversation before they got their driver's license literally acting it out. You know, you put your hands in the air on the steering wheel where they can see it. They want to see your license, uh, your, um, excuse me, your insurance and your registration. You don't reach for anything. You first say it's in my glove compartment. Can I get it? You leave one hand on the steering wheel while reaching over with the other and you float, you know, you open it very slowly so that they can look inside and see there's nothing in there. You then take it out with maybe like two fingers to show it to them. That's all you've got in your hand. You hand it over to them. You do not reach for your wallet. You don't reach for anything under the seat. You don't do anything, anything without, you know, without explaining what you're going to do first. Um, you grew up in the same town as my boys did. So you know that the kids used to go to the mall on like a Thursday night or a Friday night or whatever. And um, because all the kids started hanging out there, there was a lot of mall security and everybody there. And my kids would ask to go to the mall with their friends. And the conversation before they went was, do you have money? And they're like, well, no. So what are you going to the mall for? Just to walk around with my friends. Mm, that's not gonna work, hun. I'm gonna explain to you that if you and your friends all get stopped and you have absolutely no money, then you don't have a reason to be in the mall. And my concern is that whereas the, the kids that are not black may have money on them and may be able to say, well, I was here shopping or whatever the case is, if you're there and you don't have money, what's your reason for being in the mall? What if you were just there to create trouble or to steal or to do whatever? And my, my line was always, don't let me get that call. I don't want that call. I don't want the call from the mall security saying that you've been picked up because you didn't have any money and you were walking around in the mall or you ran from mall security. Don't let me get that call that God forbid you were pulled over by the police and something happened. Don't let me get that call that you were not welcomed in someone's house because of the color of your skin and you went there anyway. Um, my older son and I stopped speaking for almost a month and, and we're very close when he was in college because of the girlfriend whose father said, whose family said that she couldn't date anyone that was um, black and she wasn't feeling well and he wanted to go take her soup. And I said, you can't, you can't go take her soup. You can order soup and have it delivered to her, but you can't go take her soup. And he was furious. What do you mean I can't? And I said, her family has told her and therefore told you that you're not welcome there. So I can't have you go there because something could happen. And he's like, well, nothing's going to happen. And I said, you don't know that. And we went back and forth. It was just a back and forth. And he was so upset 
because I was protecting him, doing what mothers do by telling him, you can't go, you're not allowed to go because of the color of your skin. And that's, that's very hurtful to have to do, but sometimes you have to protect your kids. Yeah. So the conversations are very, very different when, when, you know, when parents um, are, are, when you're parenting a black child than when you're parenting um, a, a white child at, at the same age going through the same thing. I mean. Yeah, I, I know. I, anytime I've interacted with a cop, if I've ever gotten pulled over or whatever, they were, I will say that I have dealt with a POS cop before, but uh, uh-huh. As mm-hmm. far as, you know, when I when I'm in my car and like maybe I went I made a bad turn or whatever I did, they ultimately like right. either gave me a lesser ticket or they just left me with a warning. And I knew in that moment, I'm like, I got away with something I shouldn't have. And I would acknowledge right. I'm like, is this because I'm white? Of course, it wasn't said. Of course, they didn't like look me up and down to just right. like, analyze right. me. But I, I felt it's like I shouldn't have not been punished. But also, I'm sure the first thing that comes to your mind when being pulled over by a cop isn't, oh, my gosh, I'm being pulled over by a cop and I have to worry about the color of my skin. I have to worry about, you know, am I going to be roughed up? Am I going to be arrested? If you know that you blew a stop sign or you or you, you know, the light was yellow and it was turning to red and and you, you you know, took the light. Your first thought isn't, God, I hope I don't get thrown on the floor, handcuffed and a knee put in my neck. Um, at any point, that officer could have stopped. There are good cops and there are bad cops. I'm going to begin by saying that. I'm not trying to say that every cop in the world is a bad cop. I'm not trying to say that. But we make, we all make bad decisions at some point in life. And we stop ourselves most times, many times, a lot of times. He had almost nine minutes to stop himself. That was a long time, Amanda. What he was doing was wrong, regardless. But if he had stopped that any time before this man lost his life, it would be a different conversation. It would still be a conversation and it would be a conversation that needs to be had. But when you, I don't know if you were able to look at the memorial for George Floyd, but when they had a moment of silence for eight minutes and 46 seconds, I stood up in my house for eight minutes and 46 seconds and cried for probably eight minutes of the eight minutes and 46 seconds, because that is the longest eight minutes I've ever spent in my life. I saw a post on Instagram. It was just literally a video, obviously recognizing him. And it was just essentially a black screen, but the sound Mm -hmm. effect of breathing um, Mm -hmm. and a clock ticking down. And Mm -hmm. I think it was maybe 20 seconds before I was like, I, you can't be able yeah. to live. Yeah. And it's so hard to even watch. I mean, if you get a chance when you get off the line or your listeners get off the, the podcast, please set a timer for eight minutes and 46 seconds and just sit for eight minutes and 46 seconds breathing, just breathing. I mean, it's not even comparable. Yeah. So the world is still a place that needs so much work. I agree. And the people to do that besides obviously the black community already white allies need to stand up. And that is something Absolutely. I'm still learning on how to do. So I'd love to talk about how to do that. Uh-huh. So obviously again, done some research. There was another <laughs> quote. I like love sharing these quotes. Mm-hmm. I love quotes. <laughs> um, this one's from Brittany Packnett Cunningham. She's an activist and founder of campaign zero. Mm-hmm. She said, um, Basically, that black people's existence alone is their fight for justice. Obviously, some have chosen to speak up, but just mm-hmm. them living and thriving is their step forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but that allies um, need to speak up and learn and reflect and advocate and stay connected and share resources to be active. Correct. I mean, I think what's happening right now is actually amazing. Um, I've been looking at the protests. Um, I try not to watch it all day, all night, because then it kind of interrupts my sleep pattern. And I know, yes, my sleep pattern needs to be interrupted at this point. But literally, I, I just, the number of hours a day that I spend thinking about it is over the top. It should be. But I also think that people that are white advocating and, and going out to the protests and speaking up and doing just what you're doing right now and posting on social media and sharing the names, say their names. That's a hashtag say their names, learn their names, learn their stories, 
learn why they are no longer here with us to breathe. You know, uh, don't just do it one time and then stop because it wasn't just one person, one life. So keep going. Um, there are so many places that you can you can Google. I mean, I just wrote down just a few and actually Campaign Zero was one of them. But the Black Lives Matter movement has gotten a lot of um, a lot of negative talk because everyone is quick to say all lives matter. Well, I agree, all lives do matter. However, all lives cannot matter if black lives don't matter. So mm -hmm. we need to first bring that up to par and then we can move over to uh, all lives matter. So black lives matter is important. Um, the bail project, the National Bail Fund Network, um, Black Visions Collective, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, um, the ACLU, the Communities Against Police Brutality, Reclaim the Block, and the National Action Network. Just a few, those are just a few of the places that people can reach out, see what you can do in your community. Um, in my particular community, we used to have years ago the African American Cultural Association, and it just died down. It just stopped functioning. I don't know whether people just got too busy in their lives, but that's something that I've been talking to my husband about and to some of my friends in town that are black. And I've been saying to them, I think this is something that's worth bringing back to life and getting a new point and a new focus and a new vision for it and not just have African-American people in it. I want to talk to the neighbors that are not black. I want to talk to the police. I want to talk to the mayor. I want to talk to the towns around us not just the town that I live in, so that you know a difference can be made. I mean, this social media, oh my goodness, people talk so many bad things about social media, but social media and podcasts and blogs, so important. Start the conversation, have the conversation, continue the conversation. It makes, you know, it makes a big difference. Start a grassroots organization in your area um, open, where you can open the conversation, you know, invite the police, invite the neighborhood, neighborhood watch, invite the politicians, just make everyone's concerns heard and find a way to get your voice heard around you, you know? And of course, as we know, voting, you have to vote. You have to vote, we have to get laws changed. That's the only way to, to make this happen is to go out and vote, to go out and, and get the laws changed. Then there's a proper, um, you know, cause and effect. We have to make sure that, that people are looking out for other people and not just your same kind. It can't be black people are only looking out for black people and white people are only looking out for white people because then there'll always be a separation between us. Definitely. Um, following, going on what you were saying about social mm -hmm. media, um, one of the other ways that I've been reading about how to be a supportive ally is you know, obviously doing your research, but just following a diverse group of people. Obviously, now I've been discovering them more and more as they keep getting their opportunity mm -hmm. to have their voice heard. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started following more, but I'm like, I I couldn't tell you how many people of color I was following before. Right. That's not okay. Right. Just, just go follow them. See what they have to say. And following someone doesn't mean that you have to agree with every single thing they post, mm -hmm. but you will see a different perspective from your own. You will right. understand how different people are feeling and are thinking and are, are you know, why, um, you know, why they're feeling so passionate about what is going on right now. It's, it's, it's because of the people that we've lost recently, but it's also because it hasn't stopped. It's been going on for years, for decades, and it has not stopped. When will we learn our lesson? When will, when will it get better? When will it be different? And that's what the frustration is about. It's about, it's happening again. So I see people with the t-shirt that say, I can't breathe. And then I actually saw people with the t-shirts that said, I can't breathe again. So it's, you know, it's Eric Garner all over again. Right. It's, it's just, we're doomed to repeat history if we don't do anything about it, Amanda. It's just too much. Yes, and I'll, I'll link a lot of the resources we're mentioning today Perfect. Um, in the show notes. Absolutely. Perfect. And you also lead me to another conversation because you're saying you're not going to agree with everything that you're reading and seeing. Um, and another big thing that we need to do is have these hard discussions, especially with white people who don't uh -huh. fully grasp this yet or don't uh -huh. want to. Uh -huh. um, do you have any advice on how to have those discussions with friends and family or how to confront um, racism in a way that's helpful and not just confrontational? Um, in terms of how to have those discussions, I think the more that we start having those discussions beginning with the people that we know, 
the easier it is for us because like you said it is a very hard discussion to have to start where do you where do you begin what words do you use like even you beginning by saying what terminology am i to use you know am i incorrect if i say people of color if i say african americans if i say black people and just having that discussion one of the young ladies that's in the group have four young boys they're there she's white her husband's white and her boys are, are all white and they she has started the discussion with little children that are uh, maybe the eldest is about seven all the way down to a toddler one of their best friends is black and they're worried about their best friend and they were doing um signs uh black lives matter and they were doing drawings and stuff like that and they wanted to go put them around the neighborhood. And she said, well, we're going to start, we're going to start by putting them on our house. And you know what? You may think, well, seven years old, that's kind of young to start having that discussion. But no, it's not. Because if you teach them the opposite at seven years old, they will learn that too. Mm -hmm. If you teach them that it's not okay to be friends with black people, they will learn that very easily as well. So teaching them that there are inequalities going on around the world, and there shouldn't be that Yes, people are different colors. There are people that are brown. There are people that are this color. There are people that are that color. You're going to see people with wider noses, with broader lips, with, you know, wiry hair and, and, and different things like that. And it's okay for that to be that way. Just like it's okay for someone to be Catholic and someone to be Protestant and someone to be Jewish and someone to be, it's okay. And someone to be Baptist, it's okay. It's okay for you to be you and us still to be equal. You don't have to be me in order to be equal. And so I think the conversation, as uncomfortable as it is, needs to be started. And if you're put into an uncom uncomfortable conversation, then you need to do what you just did, which is to say, I'm not even sure what to say. Like, I wanna do the right thing, and but I don't know what to do or what to say, what do you suggest? And it'll be different for different people, different, where you live, where, you know, what opportunities are open to you, it'll all be different. But if you're white and you know someone that is black, silly as it may sound, ask the question, okay, you grew up with my sons. I've never asked you guys this question, but I want to ask you this question now. Tell me how it was different growing up in East Brunswick for you. Um, you know, tell me what it was like. What was, what was different? And, and you may get to the point, you may say, oh my gosh, I didn't know that happened. Okay, so what else happened? And what else happened? What was different when you went away to college? Because you went to different colleges. Was it different there? And, and even now, when you go to work, is it as an adult, is it different there? You know, and dating, is it different there? Have the conversation with anyone that you can. Mm -hmm. Another uncomfortable conversation um, mm -hmm. that I wanted to circle back to, oh, was cultural appropriation. I know that this one has been talked about a lot, but I, I don't want to skip it. What helped me what made me decide to um, bring up this quote was it changed my perspective. I knew obviously that it was bad, but this I think mm -hmm. helped me understand why. So this is Barry on Barry again. Mm -hmm. um, she said that um, so cultural appropriation are terms that come from black culture um, that are being taken without permission. Um, people and again, this is me quoting her people that mm -hmm. don't look like me, um, essentially white girls do not understand that they are taking from our culture. Black people have had a lot taken from us, and that's why you can't say, and she was referencing saying something like, hey, sis. Mm -hmm. um, she said, if I say it, typically people receive it as ghetto, ratchet, and uneducated. And if a white girl says it, then it's cool and trendy. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same thing for um, getting angry. If, um, if you get angry and you go out and do something about the way that black people are treated, it's okay. If I get angry, I'm the angry black woman. You know, I'm the one with the attitude. I'm the one that, you know, that's just out there screaming and, and carrying on. But we, we have been um, going down this road for so long that we are angry. I looked that up also. And I, it, it, you know, when I looked up the definition of cultural appropriation, it said the unacknowledged adoption of another's cultures, customs, practices, and ideas. The biggest part out of that that I see is um, unacknowledged. That's where the biggest um, the biggest problem has has come from is that it's being used. I, I of course again I'm going to go back to what I know. So growing up, so uh, having my kids grow up in 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 uh, the town that they grew up in, 
um, because it was mainly white, it was, oh, the white guys that are acting black, you know, how they dress, how they talk, how they wear their hat backward, how they do this, how they do that. And that also was, is considered cultural appropriation. And I think that we have so many divides that that has become a real sore spot. It has become a real sore spot. And so I, I just think that everybody has to acknowledge where it's come from. You can't not like black people, not like what they stand for, not like what, what they do, how they dress, how they act, how they speak. And then in the same breath, do everything that quote unquote air quotes again, black people do and not acknowledge that you, you, you know, stand on one side of the fence or the other. Cause you know, in my opinion, I would rather know how you feel about black people than have you stand silent and not know and be fighting the silent enemy that I don't know is in my midst. You know, that's, that's different to me. I would rather know how you feel about black people and be able to deal with that or be able to talk to you and explain something to you that you may not have understood. Oh, one of my friends said to me that, you know, when they, they understand because they're Jewish. And I said, um, I understand that, you are Jewish, and I understand that the, the Jews have gone through a lot in their history as well. However, when you walk down the street in a community, no one judges you and knows that you're Jewish by your skin. However, if I walk in that same community, immediately they have something to judge. So it's, it's different. It's different. It is still judging, and it is still being treated differently, but it's still different. So, and you know, in terms of people being educated, I think you just have to do, you know, some of what we just did, do some research, go online. Oh my God, the internet is the best thing in the world. You type in a word and it gives you everything. Um, some things you may not even want to know, but right. you can get stats city by city, town by town, state by state. You can find out, you know, how many uh, people of color are teaching in that town, in that district. You can find out, you know, about crime in that area. You can find out about causes that you can join, that you can be a part of. You can find out about, you know, groups that they have. You can find out about where they can go to vote, where they can go, you know, everything. Definitely. I think that's very helpful advice. And I'm glad that you brought up voting again. I, I, you know, there's so many topics I still want to do with this show, um, including a little bit more in depth on every um, culture, uh, including the black, uh, black history and black culture as another episode. So this is only the start of the conversation. Sounds good. Um, yes. And voting is also another episode I want to do. But just to make sure that people know how to register. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that, you know, this whole show is from the idea that I don't know how to do almost anything, including I didn't really know how to register to vote. Mm-hmm. No one teaches you. You just have right. to figure it out when it's right. time. Um, but if you go to vote.org, mm-hmm. it couldn't be easier yes. to understand how to either check if you already are registered or um, where to register. Correct. Um, it'll link you to any of your, whatever state you are a resident of, there is a link to that state's um, registration site. And it's super simple. You just need to know the information you should already know about yourself, like your social security number. Mm-hmm. Um, it should be very simple. Mm-hmm. This year, um, the presidential election is November 3rd, um, and we should all do what we can to make the future that we want to see. Um, but you should also vote for the more um, local elections. So that's governors, mayors, senators, congresswomen and men, and district attorneys. Again, this is a whole another episode here, but I just want to make sure that it's acknowledged. Definitely. Well, uh, I have one last question for you. Mm-hmm. What do you love about being a black woman? We've talked a lot about the hardships, but what is something that you love about being a black woman? You know, you um, I saw that question that you um, wanted me to answer about being a black woman. And I was like, I will ramble on for a whole nother hour <laughs> if I don't just make some notes. So I actually have a list for you so that so that I didn't ramble on forever so that your listeners would go, what is wrong with her? So here's what, here's what I love. Being a black woman, I'm a queen of an incomparable tribe. I love being a black woman because I love the color of my skin and the melanin in it. I love the texture of my hair, my natural curls. I love the shape of my body, the way I walk, the sound of my voice. I love the width of my nose, my lips, and my smile. 
I love the children, the strong black men that I have birthed and raised. I love my ability to have my voice be the change. I love being bonded with other black women by similar experiences. I love my heritage and my culture, my Caribbean background. I love my history, my legacy, my perspective and my resilience. I love my potential. I love my rhythm, my pride. I love being unapologetically beautiful in my own way. I love my ability to land on my feet in situations. And most importantly, I love my belief in a higher presence and a higher power. That was so beautiful. Wow. Thank you. I'm so glad I asked that question. <laughs> wow. That made me tear Thank up. Thank you for you. writing that. Thank you. Are there any other things that you want to, like a final message or if you want to promote anything, is there anything you want to say? Um, I have. I started a group about um, five years ago on Facebook, which um, was because um, women of color were going back to their natural roots. We're going back to not using relaxers, not going to European standards and straightening their hair anymore. And there were a lot of questions that we all had for each other. We didn't know what products to use and what not to use and what to do and how to take care of it. And so I started a group that was basically about hair. And now we are at 13,000 members um, worldwide um, of women, um, women of color that just want to share in, um, you know, um, mind, body, spirit, and taking care of our hair and everything of the sort. So on Facebook, if you're a woman of color, come by and join us. It's called Natural or Not, Here We Come, hair like H-A-I-R. And on Instagram, it's at hair underscore we underscore come. And my um, Instagram is naturally, it's Carol, N-A-T-U-R-A-L-L-Y-I-T-S-C-A-R-O-L. And on Facebook, I'm Carol Robert Solomon. So come on by, say hi, tell me that you listen to the podcast, help me spread the word. Anytime you're ready, I'm ready. Yes. I am so grateful for you. I know you've just, you've been a role model for me growing up and I'm glad, I mean, this is a horrible circumstance, but I'm glad that this gave me a chance to reconnect with you. Thank you again Absolutely. So much. Reach out anytime. I, I, I really appreciate you reaching out to me and I am so proud of the young lady that you have become. I'm oh. so happy to have been a part of your life. Thank you. You're welcome. I do want to say one last thing um, before I end this episode. Um, obviously, this week has been really heavy on all of us. Um, originally, this last week, I was going to release an episode on how to draft a resume. Um, and I'm really proud of the work that went into that episode. I'm grateful for those guests, um, but they understood and respected my decision to pause my regular content and make time to do this research. Um, as the fight for equal rights continues, unfortunately, so does this fight against this pandemic, which has caused a lot of people to lose their jobs um, and struggle to find work after graduation. Um, and because of that, I will be releasing this resume help episode tomorrow morning. Um, but before I move into my other content, I do want to acknowledge that racial injustice exists, even when it comes to that topic of resumes. Um, in a field experiment on labor market discrimination, research concluded that resumes with very white sounding names receive 50% more callbacks for interviews than identical resumes with very African American sounding names. This racial gap is among all occupations, industries, and employer sizes. I want to make sure I continue using this platform to educate myself and my listeners, even on the things that are going to make us uncomfortable. Um, like I said, I'm going to link the resources discussed today in my show notes. This is only a small step um, that we are going to get to for now, but this conversation has only begun. Thank you again, Carol, my guest, and thank you to everyone listening. Stay safe and keep learning.